never, ever marks this spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the show that knows Curly's gold was really on Orion's belt the whole time. <laughs> my name is my name is Drew, I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother Peter. Here. Hey man. Um, hey, what's up? This has been like a roller coaster of a couple weeks for me because I have a lot of stuff going on. I had a shift change at work. Um, we got... Uh, uh, I mean, the Oscars are coming up, but I'm directing a play, and I'm going into Tech Week for that. Like, this has just been nutso for me. How are you? Uh, I'm pretty good. I'm not uh, that busy, but keeping myself busy, I guess. <laughs> All right. Very cool. Um, so, how about this? Uh, let's not talk about, like, life stuff, because that's boring. Let's talk... <laughs> let's talk about the stuff. Let's talk about the stuff we came here to talk about. So, what have you uh, watched or read anything? Yeah, I was going to say, trust me, my lifestyle stuff is really boring, but um, I actually finally got the chance to watch uh, Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Oh, uh, Have you, you seen this yet? Or? Well, I, this was going to come up in conversation anyway. Um, it arrived at my house today on, oh, cool. on Blu-ray, so I came yeah. home and it was sitting on the counter waiting for me, so no, I have not watched it yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I had a feeling you, I didn't think you would have had watched it yet, so I wanted to keep my review really short and spoiler-free, but um, it's good. <laughs> uh, sweet. No, it's, um, <laughs> if you look at it as a sequel to uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, it's definitely a step up from that movie, I think. I think it's, like, I love that original, or the, the first Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back movie, but I think this is, like, it's definitely a better movie. I think it's going to age a lot better than the other one as well. But if you look at it as a, as a sequel to, like, all of Kevin Smith's work, it's actually really good in that regard, too, because there's aspects of every single one of his other movies, and not even just the Jay and Silent Bob movies, like, all of his movies are like it seems like referenced in this movie in some way or another, which is really cool. Nice, nice. Um, there's a couple moments that are actually like super touching as well, so that's actually really neat. Because um, some of like some of the really touching parts reference my favorite uh, Kevin Smith movies. Um, I will say the only drawback is there's a couple areas of the movie where the it's kind of just uh, plot filler stuff, I guess, where it's just you know a scene happens like for the specific purpose of just moving the plot forward. And there's a couple scenes like that that I felt kind of bored in, but I felt like the movie kind of made up for, uh, for, you know, that drawback at other parts. So if that makes sense, (laughs) no, that makes sense. And, uh, I'll find out when uh, I actually get to watch it. I'm I'm probably (laughs) going to watch, I'm probably going to watch it this weekend. So, okay, cool. And like I said, I don't want to say too much about the movie. Um, otherwise, uh, I actually, Let's see. Last night we were watching uh, the movie Prisoners. Have you watched that before? Um, it's like Hugh, Hugh Jackman and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, 
it's about like Hugh Jackman's daughter goes missing and oh. Jake Gyllenhaal's the detective. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, I have case. not. I have not watched the movie, but it was on my list of things to eventually get to. Oh, okay. So like. This movie's awesome. This came out, like, I didn't realize it was so old, but it came out in 2013. Um, I actually saw it in theaters when it came out, but I hadn't seen it since then. So this was, like, my rewatching, And uh, this is just a really good, like, crime thriller. Like, it's really interesting, and there's, like, a lot of really smart choices in it. Um, and I was actually, like, there's certain, like, really subtle things the movie does that I thought were really cool, um, that actually kind of relate to our list this week. Um, one of the biggest things is, like, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, he's a detective, like I said, but the way that, uh, I guess, like, the way he dresses and the way, like, like, he's got, like, visible tattoos showing, even though he's a cop, but they're, like, the way his, like, character is kind of, like, costumed is, like, a really subtle way of showing that, like, this is a character who is probably, like, a street kid or a punk or something. Like, he's probably on the other side of the law at a certain point in the, uh, you know, in his life, and now he's a detective. And, like, I guess I was just really um, appreciating some of the subtle aspects of this movie like that uh, this time watching it. Another cool thing is there's a, I don't want to give anything away, but there's a part in the movie where he mentions something related to religion that kind of uh, suggests he has, like, a kind of... uh, tragic past based on like like uh religious experiences he's had and uh there's like one of his tattoos is kind of like this really subtle suggestion that like uh it's so hard to explain without saying what it is but like he's got a small cross like tattooed on his hand and uh it's kind of like this really smart thing where it's like usually people have crosses because it's like a reminder of like something you know that they associate with being really good but with his character was almost this subtle like thing that he associates that with being something that's not necessarily good. And it was kind of like this really uh, smart sort of dichotomy. I was noticing with a lot of just the subtle, uh, you know, choices they made in this movie. So um, Drew, I think you would love prisoners if you watched it. It's really good. Um, But like, like I said, you haven't seen it yet, so I don't want to spoil anything really. No, I appreciate uh, it. But things you're telling me make me interested in questions. So now I'm going to kind of, Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. But it's it's one of those movies that uh, I saw it a long time ago and I liked it a lot, and I kind of gave it enough time to forget a lot of stuff about it, and so this rewatch I just really enjoyed. Cool. All right. Yeah, and that's about it for my watching this week. How about you? Well, in my busy, busy schedule, um, I have found a way to uh, keep up with Riverdale, which just gets better and better as you go. Um, I'm really, they keep doing this, they did it at the end of last season where they referenced the idea that something happened to Jughead, and yeah. every, like, couple episodes they make this, like, they almost kind of show you, like, a flash forward, if you will, of, like, something that's coming, that something clearly happened to Jughead, like he potentially got murdered. Yeah, well, I remember that at the end of last season, there yeah. was, like, definitely a well, they keep, they keep they keep showing little glimpses of it, so it's like we're getting closer to the idea of like what actually happened and seeing what that was, um, which is awesome. Um, and then the other thing that I actually have had a chance to sit down and start watching is uh, The Witcher, finally. Oh, nice. Yes. How far are you into it? I'm about halfway. It, how many episodes? Is it eight? Uh, it's either eight or ten, and okay. I can't remember. Okay, I'm like through episode four. I um, want to say eight. I, I want to say it's eight episodes. 
Okay. Um, I, for some reason, thought it was eight when I started watching it. It's it's fine. Yeah. I'm, like, through episode four, so I'm, I'm halfway. Um, yeah. The, uh, my, all right, so I have two criticisms of the show. Um, I want to, I want to specify that I really like what I'm watching so far. Um, yeah. So, and I definitely want more of it. The problem is, is my, my one criticism, I feel like sometimes it takes these really down moments and moves very slow. Almost slower than it should. Interesting. Almost slower than it should. Um, but maybe it's because I want them to get to the action. Or, um, maybe okay. I, or maybe I just think the writing could be a little faster paced. I don't know. Um, there's just these points where I'm like, okay. But I wonder if my thought of the reason why I think it's moving slow is, is it because I'm not familiar with the source material the way I normally am? Normally when I go oh, into okay. normally when I go into something like this, I've read the comic or I've read the novel or I've seen the movie and this is a uh, this is a spawn off a movie or I've played the video game something and the source material for The Witcher I am not familiar with. So there's lots of names of people, names of cities, names of factions that I'm like I don't know who these people are yet or yeah did I meet that person? Maybe I did. You know like I'm still trying to get my feet wet. And I'm feeling like this is how non-readers of Game of Thrones felt when they started Game of Thrones. <laughs> See, I don't, I know what you mean, but I actually don't agree with that because, uh, like, I hadn't read any of Game of Thrones and I watched it. And I think Game of Thrones does such a good job of, uh, you know, you don't know anything. Like, when you don't know anything going in, they still do a good job of, like, kind of explaining everything, but doing it, a way, in a, doing it in a way where they're giving you emotional ties to everything they're discussing because like game of thrones could be very lore heavy but they're giving they're like bringing you into it and giving you like an emotional reason to care about you know westeros or king's landing or you know any of the characters or the events in the show i think i kind of agree with you where the witcher does a lot of uh like lore dumping in a sense where they'll have a dialogue scene and they'll just dump a bunch of lore on you and it'll be kind of like a little bit confusing kind of hard to remember all the names but at certain points i didn't think they gave you that like emotional reason to really remember you know this stuff and it was just kind of like okay i kind of got the gist of it i guess i'll pick up on it again later when they mention it next time you know right and my well that was the thing is like <clears throat> i was thinking the same thing you were in yeah. terms of that but I just, I'm not familiar with things, so I'm just kind of trying to keep up with it as I go, so there's been, I've actually rewatched like, a sections of an ep a couple episodes, just because I'm like, wait a minute, what the heck's going on? Yeah, um, well, if you're through episode four, uh, what do you think of the Law of Surprise stuff? Um, so, look, <laughs> every... Because, spoilers, that's like, in my opinion, the most confusing part of the show. You know, so, Yes. <laughs> yes, and I'm not entirely sure if I have that grasped um, in my mind. Um, right. I do think that some of the fight scenes, I think, are a little, like... Like, for example, the fight scene at the end of the first episode, I thought was too short, and I wanted more of it. And then yeah. you had, in episode three, the fight scene with the, like, cursed princess or whatever, that I was like, wow, this uh, this is drawn out. And yeah, won't, I would agree And won't that. stop. Like, <laughs> so... I, I just, I think there's a weird balance, but this is a show that, like, has clearly, like, gotten the attention of everyone, and I think what'll happen is, is they're gonna, it'll find its legs, 
um, as we move forward with it. Absolutely. And like, I guess like following it on social media, um, like I've just noticed, uh, Netflix saying stuff like they understand that, like, like I mentioned the law of surprise thing. And that's like something that I guess a lot of people have been vocally confused about. Um, and they've kind of like, Netflix has at least addressed people online saying that like, Oh, we understand that this was confusing, you know, next season we're going to work on making sure everything's a little bit more clear. So that's really cool. Good. Yeah. Good. Um, I don't know if I cut your two things. So one was like, you kind of felt like certain parts were too slow. And, uh, oh, what was the other one? It's the, uh, it's the lore dumping. Um, oh, okay, and, nice. <laughs> and, and my concern, and it's kind of a two parter in a sense, because the, the moving too slow, um, could be, I, I'm wondering if I'm confusing the moving too slow with the fact that I'm not familiar with the source material. So I'm, I feel like I'm playing catch up. So to yeah. me, when it's slow, my brain's going, come on, get back to the stuff I want to see. Stop <laughs> talking to me about all this nonsense that I don't understand. You know, so. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. Yeah, I don't know. I've seen the criticism about the uh, the complications of the, like the, uh, uh, let's, for lack of a better term, let's just call it lore dumping. I've, I've, yeah. I've read the reviews about people complaining about it being too lore heavy. Um, but yeah. that's the thing I'm trying to play catch up cause I don't really know, but I'm liking what I'm seeing. So I can't yeah. really complain. So. Well, I still think it's like, it's okay <laughs> to be lore heavy. I think they just, uh, this season, at least I didn't feel like they gave you a good enough reason to care, I guess, which is kind of, uh, where I've seen shows like, uh, like game of Thrones, I think is a perfect example. They give you like really strong reasons to care about like every bit of lore in that show. And like, I know we shouldn't compare The Witcher to Game of Thrones. I was but just gonna say that. Gonna do it anyway. So. Yeah, I was just gonna say we shouldn't compare, but um, yeah. unfortunately, that's the nature of the internet, and you end up comparing by mistake. Yeah. So. Um. So, I will say, like I said this before too, like I do really love this show. Like even though I criticize it, I love it, and like as I said before, there's parts of the series that are some of my favorite like tv episodes or tv moments i've ever seen it's just there's also like some drawbacks so it's kind of a bit of a you know bit of, bit of a give and take there but um yeah, yeah i will say uh what's cool is where you're at there's still like probably my two favorite episodes you still have yet to see so i'm excited to hear what you think oh, about nice. the rest of the series all right cool well i will um, <laughs> i'll try and have that I will have definitely more watched before we sit down next week, but hopefully, uh, if I if I can, maybe I'll have it finished. No guarantees, though. <laughs> right um, ready to tackle some news? Sounds good. Was there a lot of news this week? I don't. I feel like you know, I'm either out of the loop or it was really slow. News. <laughs> news. I don't, I don't know which. News was sporadic and weird, so I'm gonna kind of be a little all over the place um, because there were some things that I just pulled off that kind of caught my attention. Right. More, more than anything. Um, because I didn't see anything massive, but there was like, wow, I should, we need to talk about this. Um, yeah. so let's hit Marvel real quick. Um, couple things that are like, not much to say about them, but it's just some brief things. Captain Marvel 2 is officially in production. Cool. Um, we all knew that was going to happen, so, um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, um, and then, uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the release date for Falcon and the Winter Soldier has been reportedly moved up to August of this year. Oh, okay. So, I don't, I don't, I, I could have swore it was going to be 2020. I don't remember the release date for it, but they're moving it up to August, so that's going to start in August, so awesome. 
I honestly thought it was going to come out sooner. <laughs> to be honest, I actually thought it was. Yeah, I for some reason I thought it was like a May release or something like that. Um, yeah. And then the other thing for Marvel is that Emily Blunt has reportedly met with Marvel for an upcoming role. Hmm. Mystery role. No one actually knows what. Uh, yeah, I don't really know. So, Go ahead. Like who? You don't know who to expect, I guess you were going to say. No, I don't. And I was like, Emily Blunt? Who could Emily Blunt be? Thinking about the movies we've talked about and things that we know are coming, like, who could Emily yeah. Blunt possibly be in the movie? Like, that's... Or, like, in the Marvel Universe, what could she end up being? So, um, I just thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, I was I was going to say, who are the fans <clears throat> casting her, her as? You know, that's, like, the and only I ha- way I can think to judge it. But I haven't seen much uh, fan casting on her yet. I just saw the report that she was yeah. clearly met with Marvel, so cool um yeah that'll be interesting to see what happens with that one i'm gonna ask you a weird audio question is there something beeping in the background where you're at uh there might be sorry (laughs) okay (laughs) no it's a weird beep i'm like whoa did i hear that right (laughs) like i don't it doesn't matter it just made me laugh for a second um all right so moving on uh i got one (laughs) (laughs) yeah moving on because i'm like i don't know what that beep is so we'll just we'll just skip it and keep going i got one piece of dc news and this is, okay, this is essentially a spoiler. So, yeah, okay. there's something beeping in the background. <laughs> you um, should I try to switch rooms or? I don't know. I just think, I just thought it was funny. I'm like, what okay. is that beep? <laughs> but it's a random beep. So uh, I'm going to, yeah. we'll apologize for the audience. Um, yeah, if, if it's really obnoxious, I could probably go to a different room if we need to. No, I'm it's weird. It's that. like, I feel like, I feel like if I time it right, it could censor out a bad word. <laughs> Uh, right. <laughs> um, at any rate, uh, so this is potentially a spoiler. The problem is it's marked as a rumor, so okay. I don't know if it's an actual spoiler or not. Um, and it's for Birds of Prey. Um, so I'm officially dropping our spoiler uh, warning right now for the next couple seconds. Um, rumor. At, there is a post-credit scene at the end of Birds of Prey... That will, that will show us the first appearance of the DC EU's version of the Green Arrow. Hmm. Spoiler, uh, spoiler over. <laughs> okay. Uh, um. So clearly, it won't be Stephen Amell, but uh, there's apparently, I like I said, it's a it's listed as a rumor. So I'm just like I look cool. Bring it. Let's let's do this. But at the same time, like I don't know what that means. So. I don't know if the timing's right or if it's too soon, though, to be honest. I, I agree. And is the timing <laughs> right? Is that why they canceled? Is that why Arrow went the way it went? I don't... I mean, you would know better than me because you've been keeping up with those shows. To me, I feel like that's not the reason. I feel like, you know, they were just at a point in the show where it was probably the right time to end it. Um, sure. But I'm not really... Yeah, I don't really know. But it, it is one of those things that... If we went back in time, like, four or five years, like, everybody would be up in arms if, you know, Green Arrow was going to be in the DCEU and it wasn't going to be Stephen Amell. But with the timing now, I'm kind of curious how people are going to react to it, you know? Right. Um, I agree. And I'm and look, I'm really curious to see how uh, they the DCEU handles the Green Arrow. But I'm not opposed to a DCEU version of the Green Arrow because of what Crisis just did with the Flash. Okay, 
Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. You know, so bring it. Let's do it. Let's see. Let's see what you guys do differently. Um, there's a mock. I did find a mock-up picture of what Green Arrow could look like, and this you can't even tell who the actor is. It looks like they just m- morphed uh, Stephen Amell's face a little bit and gave him a longer beard. And, <laughs> <laughs> so okay, um, nice. Yeah, you, I don't really I know. I do think. I'll keep going. I, I no. am kind of curious, though, like, uh, with how uh, serious and dark Arrow was at first, like, is the DCEU's version of the Green Arrow going to be, like, really light and jovial, you know? Like, how are they going to play it off it, it to could differentiate be, it, you know? It could be, because I likened uh, the CW's Arrow to Batman Begins. Um, yeah, absolutely. Not not necessarily the Dark Knight so much, but when you watch when you watch Arrow from the beginning, the show is structured in a Batman Begins format where they're showing the flashbacks to the island, like you know, just like Bruce Wayne's flashbacks to him training with Ra's al Ghul. It was just a really interesting way of them going, "Hey, this worked. Why don't we tell Green Arrow in that Batman Begins sense?" Yeah. Um, and. Uh, they eventually got in a lot of the arrow jokes on arrow, like the, uh, the boxing glove, uh, arrow and like the different trick arrows and stuff like that. And they, they made those jokes for sure. Um, so I don't know. I can see them going a little lighthearted with it, with the movie only because yeah, I think Warner brothers wants to be lighthearted a little bit, but they're also on this. We can make rated R movies and make them work bandwagon right now because of the success of the joker so yeah and birds of praise and birds of praise gonna be rated r so yeah i mean it's kind of cool when you think about like the variety of uh movies that are in the same universe though because you look at the comics and you have like you know you have stuff that's current sort of edging towards like way like mature uh content and then you also have like some light and jovial stuff and uh you know, that's just in, like, the Marvel and DC universe. Like, I feel like there's room for variety in these movie universes, just like the comic books have, like, so much variety of it in them, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you have, like, you know, Power Pack at one end of the scale or whatever, and then you've got Ghost Rider at the other end, or, you know, that sort of concept. Like, you can have those two worlds where it's, like, darker and then also, like, light and jovial, so. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know if there's like a lot to discuss. Well, no, I was like, I didn't. Honestly, I didn't know what to add because you kind of like just put it in a good way. You know, what I mean, it's like, <laughs> right, yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, this is uh, talking about Birds of Prey is a good segue into this because I just wanted to hear your thoughts. This is more of a thoughts because as a quote came out um, in the Birds of Prey, uh, we're going to be introduced to the DCEU version of the Huntress. Um, who is personally one of my, like, in terms of, like, that part of the DC Universe, the Huntress is one of my favorites. And uh, yeah. she's going to be played by uh, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, who mm-hmm. who played Ramona on Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Um, in an interview, they were asked her about Scott Pilgrim, and she had the following quote. Um, I would be so curious to know what happened to these characters when they're in their 30s, as opposed to the sort of 20 slacker thing. I think it's way more fascinating to know where they would be 10 years later. I'm down for it. Uh, that's awesome. I, I did see that she commented on this, but I never like actually read an article. So, um, no, I think that's awesome. I think that would be an awesome sequel to see. And just like, I don't know, kind of similar to, um, 
I mean, I know these are very different movie franchises, but kind of like how you talked about how I think it's uh, Before Sunrise you talked about relating to so much when you saw it, and then uh, what is it, Before Sunset? Is that the sequel? Yeah, so I don't there's, know if I'm getting the names right. But, so Before Sunrise was supposed to be this, like, it was supposed to just be a single movie by itself. And it yeah. was just basically these two 20-somethings meeting on a train and having sharing this connection, and they spend the rest of the movie talking. I refer to it as a Talking Heads movie because it's literally two actors just walking through the streets of Vienna, France, talking for two hours. Yeah. And it's riveting. <laughs> and it, it's, yeah. it's awesome, and you're just, like, loving every minute of it, and you're like, yeah, tell me more. Like, I want to know more about you guys, and you want them to fall in love with each other and all that stuff. And, you know, the, when I saw that movie, I was just in the right place for that, and I saw it. And then yeah. later, uh, Richard Linklater said, you know what, let's make another one with these two characters. And he got the actors back, and they did Before Sunset. And again, I was, like, right in the right place when that came out. And I wasn't I wasn't 100% on board with it, but, it, like, that's where I was with my life when I watched it. I was like, holy cow, this is incredible. And then years down the road they decided to do a third movie and call it and it was called before midnight and it's same thing it was like let's get the actors back and do it again so yeah um but like i, I was just kind of like laughing to myself because i feel like if they did do this scott pilgrim's like the scott pilgrim sequel it would be like my before sun sunrise and sunset because it would be like when Scott Pilgrim came out, I was just in the perfect place to see that movie. Like that movie, I felt like mirrored my life in such a, <laughs> like just such a, in such a coincidental way, but also in such a ridiculous way. But I would love to see like where are these characters now? You know how have they changed? And then also just like how cartoony and ridiculous that world is. Like, would it still have those like weird like video game graphics and references intact? And you know how would they handle all that on like you know a group of thirty year olds? Like oh, I, that just the I, whole concept just brings a smile to my face. I think it. I think it would be. All those tropes would still be there. I just think it would be handled yeah. in a different way. And like you'd have to think about how the resurgence of some of the tabletop games have come back. I think it would alter some of the references that get made. You know what I mean? Where Scott Pilgrim might actually be carrying a D twenty in his pocket. You, you know what I right. mean? Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. it could be really funny. Um, so, yeah. Um, all right. So, you want me to move on? I mean, yeah, it sounds awesome. I just yeah, it like... sounds out. Yeah, let's get another one. Um, yeah. All right. I got uh, two, a uh, couple more, and then uh, we'll get onto the list. So, um, cool. we have that new Ghostbusters coming, right? Yeah. Yeah, that looks amazing. Uh, Bill Murray will return as Peter Venkman. Awesome. Yep, alongside... That's actually, that's actually really awesome. Yes. Um, it's really nice that someone got a hold of the Bill Murray phone number. Um, I don't know if you know about... <laughs> I do you know about the Bill Murray phone number? No. Okay, so <laughs> this is actually... I don't think so. This is actually... And, like, apparently, like, I thought it was, like, one of those Hollywood myths, and apparently it's an actual thing. Uh, Bill Murray has a old-school cassette tape uh, answering machine at his house. Nice that has a landline connected to it, obviously, and if you want Bill Murray to do anything, you have to call that number and leave him a message, and if he likes what he hears, he will call you back. <laughs> oh, okay. And that's, that's how uh, and that's how you get Bill Murray to do movie projects. 
that's pretty funny, but it's also like probably a really good way to avoid projects you don't want to do. <laughs> and it avoids people pitching stuff to you constantly, and you could just live your life, and he can do what he wants and go, you know what, that sounds like a cool idea, let's go do it. Yeah. So he will be returning with Dan Aykroyd and Ernie Hudson in the new Ghostbusters movie, but he is officially coming back. Yeah, that's that's really great. I know he was like such a... Um... Like, him not wanting to be involved in a Ghostbusters 3 is kind of a big thing that just, like, held that, just any sort of, like, new Ghostbusters movie, it, like, held that concept back for so long, and it's, like, awesome to see that he's on, on board now, and uh, it's one of those things where it shows, like, with this is, like, a sign that the movie's probably really gonna, it's gonna be really good, because he obviously believes enough in the script to actually join in on this, so yeah, this is great, great right. news. Awesome. All right. We're going to move on to Star Wars, and then I got a couple Star Wars things, and then I got one really funny one. Um, <laughs> so first, we'll talk about, uh, let's see, how I'm going to break down Star Wars. Okay, we'll start with the, uh, we'll start with this one. We don't, every now and then video games are going to make an appearance on this show. We don't talk about them a lot, but every now and then they're going to. Um, there is uh, an old uh, role-playing game called Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Um, yeah. Apparently... Um, I've played, I played the, I played the first two. They're amazing. I'd love to see another one in that vein. Um, but, and then with the fact that I think that's where, and I honestly think that's probably where Disney's going to go next in terms of their movie making. Um, that would be my guess anyway, since they haven't made any announcements. Um, apparently a Knights of the Old Republic remake is rumored to be in development at EA Studios. One, okay. one source suggests it's a sequel of sorts, integrating elements from both games to return them to Star Wars canon. Um, okay. I just think I just think this is awesome news. Um, because the other week when we were talking about video game environments and the reason we play video games to begin with is because we want to live in those worlds. Um, Star Wars is a universe that I want to live in, so if you're going to give me some big expanded, like, roleplay, like, ask free roam, do what I want kind of world that I can go live in, let's go do it, you know? Yeah. So, I'm, yeah. I'm all for this, I think this is exciting. Um, the, uh, I don't know how, do you, do you ever play those games? I haven't played them. I know, like, they're definitely fan favorites, uh, and it's always good to see more Star Wars stuff coming out, um, I'm just not the biggest gamer. Um, I do get a, get a kick out of the quote that this new game's like a sequel of sorts because I feel like everything that's made nowadays is a sequel of sorts. <laughs> right. Well, they <laughs> so say that phrasing just kind of cracks me up. They but, say yeah, remake awesome. and then they say sequel, so I don't know what to say about it. But it's it's at this point it's still kind of rumored. Yeah. Um. So, do you want a baby Yoda? Um. I mean, I could live without a baby. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I mean, sure, sure, I do, I do, but I mean, Baby Yoda's just been like everywhere you look lately, so you yeah. know. I'd... Well, in uh, in my Star Wars collecting, I knew that I eventually have to have Baby Yoda in my um, oh sure collection. Yeah. So uh, I have on pre-order right now. I have the Baby Yoda Black Series uh, figure that's coming out um, later. Uh, it's okay. so. Cool. Great, I'll eventually have that in my collection. I don't know how big that is, because <laughs> I don't know if it's supposed to be part of the 6-inch scale, so if it's the 6-inch scale, Baby Yoda's going to be real tiny. <laughs> yeah, um, he's like half an inch tall, but or he's if it's the same as the other figures. <laughs> right, I know. Or it's going to be a legitimate larger size Baby Yoda, but it's going to be a Black Series. I don't know. I just I saw that they were coming out with one, so I was like, pre-order, done. Nice. How however, the reason I bring this up is because Sideshow Collectibles... 
Um, Sideshow Collectibles is amazing in terms of their uh, figures that they put out. Has revealed a life-size Baby Yoda is on the way. Uh, the, statue, the statue stands at 16.5 inches tall and features an accurate tuft of fuzz on its little green head. This can be yours for the grand whopping total of $350. Yeah, I was waiting to hear the price. Right, and that's the thing. Uh, when I saw that Sideshow, Sideshow Collectibles was doing this, I'm like, well, that's going to cost me a fortune. Yeah. Well, I mean, Sideshow is like, they do beautiful work. Like, they make the like these awesome statues. And, like, every year at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, like, Sideshow Collectibles will release, like, a preview of all their new stuff. And it's always one of my favorite things to watch because they're... You know, all their statues and figures and everything just looks beautiful, but it's always way out of my price range. So, I mean, this is really cool. I look forward to seeing it. I doubt I'll ever own it, but, yeah, I'm really excited to actually catch a glimpse of it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, all right, let's... All right, the next Star Wars piece that I have to talk about is... It's this three-part nonsense. Um, it was... I found messed up pieces of information, so I'm going to kind of bring these from bad to good, and we're going to make okay. sense of it real quick. Obi-Wan Kenobi on hold. Um, I heard about this. Obi-Wan Kenobi Disney Plus series starring Ewan McGregor has been reportedly put on hold due to Lucasfilm being unhappy with its scripts. Yeah. That's the bad. And I was like, oh crap, what's going on? And then I saw the following. Obi-Wan, Ewan McGregor gives Obi-Wan series update. The Disney Plus series centered on Obi-Wan will be shooting in January next year, according to Ewan McGregor. So Ewan McGregor is saying that it's just being pushed back a little bit. Right. Then, and that's what I actually saw that quote, and that's kind of what I assumed it was all along, but uh, keep going. Keep then, on. well, here's the third part that I'm going to bring up. This is a direct quote from Ewan McGregor uh, in an interview. Filming the Obi-Wan Disney Plus show just said... Uh, just slid to next year. That's all. The scripts were really good. They felt like they wanted more time to spend on the writing. I've read about 80, 80 to 90% of what they've written so far, and it's really, really, really good. Instead of shooting this August, they just want to start shooting in January. That's all. So, that first report of them saying Lucasfilm being unhappy, I don't know how true that is when you hear a quote like that. Yeah. You know? I feel like they were unhappy in the sense that they just didn't think the scripts were ready yet. But I think this is something that happens with all sorts of movies and shows. We It's just like most movies and shows aren't reported on at the extent that Star Wars is. So I feel like people got word that like, oh, Obi-Wan's getting pushed back. And everybody was like so quick to hate because... Yeah, the sequel trilogy is, like, as much as I love it, like, it is a divisive trilogy, and so many people are quick to hate on anything Star Wars or Kathleen Kennedy related. I so feel like that, I feel like that and, shifted. Since the, Mandalor so? Since the Mandalorian and Rise of the Skywalker came out, I really feel like Star Wars fandom has decided to stop yelling and start just enjoying Star Wars. And I feel like the conversations I get in now are people are just like, Star Wars is great again. Um... And maybe guess, I'm and maybe I'm talking right. and maybe I'm talking to the right people because there's a couple people out there that still just will not stop with the last I don't yeah. like the last Jedi nonsense, but yeah. I feel like in a general sense everyone's kind of calmed down in that aspect. I think that's true. I still see a ton of even uh Rise of Skywalker hate on Twitter though. Like it's kind of um 
And maybe that's me living in my little bubble where I'm reading a lot of tweets by people who criticize films a lot. So maybe that's an issue. But um, yeah, that's just kind of like I've gotten the impression that people are still complaining about it a bit. And that might just be me living in a bubble. But um, either way, it's just kind of seems like it really depends on who you talk to at this point so (laughs) right well um i hear you well i'm uh, you know what i love star wars there i said it yeah good and bad like i'm sorry if you truly love something you'll accept all of that thing regardless you know and i agree with that and like i said before that uh i was actually more excited about obi-wan than the mandalorian so I mean, I'm still excited about it. I'm hoping it's moving forward. And uh, if they're taking their time with it and making sure that it's, like, perfect before they actually start production, like, I'm cool with that, too. So I just want it to be as good as it can be. So Yeah, that's what we want them to do. All right. Um, Last one, and I saved this for last on purpose. Are you ready to relive Bambi again? (laughs) I think I know where this is going. Disney is working on a remake of <laughs> Bambi, and the studio has tapped Geneva Robert Dorset to write the script. It is said to be a live-action remake or photorealistic feature like last year's Lion King. I like the phrasing <laughs> photorealistic. Like, I actually like that a lot better than I do calling too. it live-action. Um, I have one problem with this. So, look, we look. you can say Lion King was live-action all you want, but let's be honest, it's just animation. Um... My problem with the Lion King footage that I saw was that I'm watching animals who can't make facial expressions, so I don't get I don't get the emotional draw that I got with the cartoons. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So if there was any criticism that I have for that was I wish that they would have done the photorealistic, but in the dialogue sequences, they would have made the faces a little more cartoony so you could give me emotional response so I as an audience member could feel more empathy towards what's going on in a movie that technically I've already seen. Does that make, yeah. does that make sense? Okay. So I hope that they take No, a, no, just everything you're saying is so, so spot. Right, so I'm hoping... I absolutely agree. So I'm hoping they're paying attention to what I just said, and I know I'm not the only podcaster out there who's said this, but I hope they take that to heart and they make the faces on Bambi and Thumper and uh, Flower and I can't believe I remember that many characters' names. Um, (laughs) They're... They, uh, I just hope that they take that and make their faces a little more cartoony so we get that emotional involvement with these animals. Yeah. Um, however, I don't know if I want to live through Bambi's mom getting shot again. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So. No, that, that's absolutely true. I think, um, just kind of listening to your assessment of this story, I still really think you need to watch, uh, Mowgli on Netflix, the, uh, Andy mm. Circus directed uh, Jungle Book no, adaptation. No, I... I actually really, really want to watch that one. Yeah, because Mowgli does this weird thing where um, all the animals, like their faces, are mo-capped. From what I, from as far as I know, um, and so like they're mo-capped, and they kind of so the animals animals' faces move similarly to how the actual actors' faces move. So Good. it kind of has this weird thing where certain animals don't necessarily look exactly how that animal would look in real life because its facial features are changed a little bit, but it's also still really realistic. And to me, I think it just, like, 
made all the uh, animals' emotions like that much more believable, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, dude, are you ready to uh, talk about the list tonight? Yeah. Because you gave me a doozy of a list to kind of put together. So. Um, (laughs) Yeah. uh, All right. Well, I guess it's list time. So, uh, Ryan. And now for the top five. So we're back. It's list time. It was your list idea, so why don't you explain it? And because it was your pick, I have to go first. So, uh, yeah, it just uh, it just kind of came to me where I kind of I think it might have been because I was seeing announcements for the Oscars and uh, just like I guess I was like interested in like the costume, you know, best costume design category, and I was like, it'd be really cool to just talk about our favorite costumes from you know movies or books or well not books but you know comics or video games and you know kind of just go into that so not like necessarily a super big explanation for this one i just thought it'd be a fun topic you know oh this was a fun topic to explore um however it was also a difficult topic to really dive into so i'm gonna have to you think so yeah it it drove me nuts um, well, I'm sorry about that. No, it, you, you don't have to apologize at all. <laughs> um, and in the terms of Oscars, since Oscars is coming, I my pick for next week is not Oscar-centric. Um, we have, uh, because Oscars is the uh, 9th of February, um, we're going to, so it's going to be, just to give you guys a quick understanding of what we're going to do, so I'm going to do a pick next week. Then Peter's going to do a list, and then after Peter's next list, we're going to do our favorite movies from 2019, and that'll be, because then the Oscars will have aired, we'll be able to report on them, and that'll give us just a little extra time to watch something, um, so just so everyone understands what we're doing about Oscars and our favorite movies from 2019. Um, okay, so I guess it's my turn. I have no honorable mentions. Do you? Yeah, I actually have two. Okay, so, <laughs> so you have um, to go first. Haha. <laughs> yeah, I can run through them really quick. Um... My first one, and I'm actually really glad that we talked about Arrow earlier, because um, my first one's actually from that show, which is the uh, Royal Flush Gang, um, and and specifically the Arrow depiction of this uh, of this set of characters, because I do really like the way they look in the comics and the DC animated series, but in Arrow they took these uh, kind of really um, I'm trying to think of the like these characters with like really whimsical costumes that it's a team of villains who are, they dress as members of like a Royal flush. So that you've got the King and the queen, the Jack, the ace, etc. Um, and I just thought like, uh, arrow did like this really genius thing because they brought that concept into the real world. And it was, uh, I want to say it was the first season they you, did it. It might have been the second. I, I think can't it was, remember. I but, think uh, it was the second season, but are you referring to the arrow version of Royal flush as opposed to like Batman beyond? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Like the the Arrow version specifically, I just thought it was really genius because they took this crazy, like whimsical costume for super or concept for supervillains, and they brought it into the real world. And what you had was a group of uh, bank robbers who had who all wore like hockey masks, like goalie masks, and uh, printed on the hockey mask, they all had like the members of the Royal Flush that they were, and it was like printed really big on the side, and it was like. It looked really cool, like, just from, like, kind of a graphic design sense, but I thought it was, like, such a genius way to bring a really whimsical thing into the real world, and I was always just, like, 
thought that was really cool. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one, but no, yeah, no, I actually really enjoyed how they handled that on Arrow because when I heard that they were going to be villains on Arrow, I'm like, those are some goofy costumes to put on screen, <laughs> and they really Absolutely. just and they really just did it with hockey masks, and I'm like, yeah. oh, that's brilliant, and it was kind of a. They made them kind of throw away villains in the season, but it was just nice to see the inclusion more than anything. Yeah. And it was just a brilliant add-in for their costumes. So. Yeah, and it had, it had like, this really, like, Nolan-verse, like, sort of thought process behind it, I thought, of just, like, this, how do I make this ridiculous thing, like, real, I guess. Which is... So I really liked that. Which brings us back to the Batman Begins take with Eric. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, What's your second other... honorable mention? Uh, my second honorable mention is uh, the Giver. So oh, geez, like the Mark the Mark Hamill movie. Well, either the movie or the uh, anime. Um, I've seen I've seen them both. I like the anime a lot, and I just think this is like. First of all, I like this concept a lot, where you have like a uh, sort of living biological alien suit that you're wearing that's giving you powers and stuff, and I just think that's like a cool concept for a superhero. But I also just think this is a costume that has like a really like striking design and it looks it's just really neat looking and i really enjoy the uh there's this kind of like spike thing that comes off of the guyver's head that gives him like this really unique sort of silhouette that's really memorable and it's um i think they put that spike on there to be like kind of an homage to uh like kind of like Ultraman and like that sort of probably Ultraman to be honest, like the Ultraman like Japanese TV series. But um, I just think this is like a really cool designed costume, and uh, there's not a lot more I can go into it as far as costume design. It's just like I think it looks badass. <laughs> so, cool. All right. Uh, so I think that would lead into your first my actual first pick. actual pick. Now, before I explain. Uh, what my picks are and why and all that stuff. I want to just give you a quick breakdown of how I tackled this. Um, because you and I have talked offline before about costumings where the movie's set in the 1800s. So you literally pull up photos and, you know, articles and you kind of look and see how costumes were made. And then you go and you make the costumes or you go to museums yeah. and look at it and you go, oh yeah, there we go. And we copy it. And then, you know, hey, the Civil War soldier looks like a Civil War soldier because you put him in a Civil War uniform. Um, yeah. Costume design, when you talk about the real, I think is it's one way of looking at it. But then when you do costume design, looking at the fantastical, um, it becomes a little more interesting because the costume design has to make you believe the world exists. And um, it makes it, you have to feel lived in with the world. So everything on my list, a cut, two of them are kind of an easy grab for me. Um, because of the simplicity of the costumes. But when you hear my reasoning, you'll understand why. Um, so I, that's kind of how I looked at it. I'm like, how did this? How did the costumes in this in these movies or television shows that I've chosen um, made me feel a part of the world? Because you want, um, like, all right. So and if you look at Star Trek, the production design of Star Trek by itself, it's very pristine and clean and utopian. But then yeah. when you flip that, when you flip it and you look at Star Wars, it's very dirty and lived in, and yeah. and you want and with your costumes you want those what your characters are wearing to feel like they belong there. They that you want them to like that's that's exactly what those characters look like and why. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how I tackled this. So okay. the first uh, item on my list is the movie Labyrinth. 
Nice. Um, Labyrinth, it's a very fantasy movie, so when you look at it, um, when you look at the costumes just from the puppets to David Bowie to uh, Jennifer Conley, it's a late 80s, early 90s kind of thing for her, so she's kind of, her 80s, the outfit she, the normal clothes she wears are very, like, centric to her period, but they're, like, kind of eccentric for her period, for that time yeah. period, and then she goes into this fantasy universe, and she's dealing with all these things, um, and seeing all these other characters in their costumes that fit the universe they're in. But then, mm-hmm. this is also a movie that shows off the first ever actual, I think, cosplay. <laughs> which, we've, I mean, which, we've talked yeah. to, which we've talked about a little bit before at the beginning of the movie, where she's actually in a fantasy dress that mirrors this fantasy universe that she's a fan of. Um, so... It, it, it was very believable, and it made complete sense, and just in a world we live in today, looking back at something like this. So, I don't know, yeah. thoughts? No, I, I, well, like, first of all, I think it's, like, I don't know if it is, like, in the history of things, the first cosplay, but I think that's actually really funny to think about. <laughs> um, but, like, no, I think uh, Labyrinth is, like, an awesome movie to pick for this. I'm noticing that, uh, like, last week, I think you went with, like, broad picks, where you picked, like, a whole, like, movie series for example and like i actually went with like specific character costumes so that'll be an interesting uh dichotomy but uh no absolutely like labyrinth has like so many good designs i think like the goblin king has such like a striking look to him and like something that's really memorable i think uh like you said like sarah's character like she is very um her clothes feel very real world but like you said very eccentric where it's like she kind of has, like, almost like a uh, low-key cosplay or low-key, like, you know, waving her freak flag sort of thing going on throughout the whole thing. So, yeah, this is definitely a really good one. Right. Okay. And, and actually, a thanks for agreeing. good one. <laughs> What's that? I said thanks for agreeing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and also, like, this is a good first one to mention because it melds both the uh, real world and the fantasy world together, you know? Yeah. Um. What do you got for your first go? Yeah, so, like I said, I actually picked all uh, specific characters whose costumes I liked. And uh, this one, much like the Giver, is kind of a costume that I just think is really badass, and that is Spawn. So, I've talked a lot about my Spawn love love on this podcast before. Um, Mm -hmm. And Spawn, I actually... Spawn's a weird one because I like his costume so much, but I also admit that it's not the most unique thing because I think Todd McFarlane was kind of like, okay, I'll combine elements of Spider-Man and elements of Batman and a couple other characters and make it a little bit more metal or whatever, and uh, here you go, here's Spawn. But the more I thought about it, the more I was just like, I really like this costume, and one of the things that really sells the costume is that cape how the cape kind of has a life of its own it's and it's always moving around and it's always interesting to look at and i think that really enhances like the characters like just silhouette like you see spawn from a mile away and you still can recognize it's him because of that cape but then i was also thinking about how spawn is a character who you can and they've done this in the comics where they've taken him to medieval times and you know different times in history and they've taken him into the future and i think he's just somebody who no matter where you put him, his costume works for some reason. Like, you can put him in any setting, and for some reason, that costume works. And then I was like, that's actually really cool that his costume's like that, and that doesn't necessarily work with a lot of characters, you know? No, I totally agree. Uh, Spawn's mask, I uh, 
I've always loved his mask. Yeah. Like, from, like, just, I just always have loved his mask, and, um, it, it's funny, like, so, um, there's certain things with certain characters when I read comic books that I'm always looking for those pieces of art. Like, one of my favorite things with Batman is when they do the silhouette of Batman, where it's, like, him, like, the cape and cowl, but you can't really see much of his, like, face or his chest or anything like that. He's just basically a black shadow with the cape and stuff like that. Those are some of my favorite images of Batman. Yeah. And Spawn, I'm always like, show me the mask. Just show me the mask all the time. <laughs> like, it's just do cool, just do, like, cool things, but the mask is right there. So I totally hear you what you're saying, especially with the change of time period when they did, like, medieval time stuff and that kind of thing, so. Yeah. And also, like, just because you're talking about the mask, I also like a thing they do at Spawn is they'll have, like, him almost completely in shadows, and maybe you can just see the edges of his cape and kind of, like, his growing green, uh, green eyes and, uh, you think like he's going to come out of the shadow and he's going to be wearing the mask, but sometimes he does. And you just see his like ugly, decrepit, undead face. And like, that's always like a fun thing too, because he looks really cool with the mask and then he looks horrific and really badass without the mask. And that's really neat about his costume as well. Right. So, so yes, you and I totally uh, thought about this in two completely different ways. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, because when you said costume design, I did the uh, film student thing in me, and I looked at movies as a whole, or television yeah. shows as a whole, and then like I well, I, really I think, focused I think gonna, on what I think and we're why. We're gonna match in kind of a weird way, though, where <laughs> I'll pick some characters that might be from movies and stuff that you mentioned. So, <laughs> it, I I have a feeling we won't at all. Um, my next pick. Interesting. My next pick is The Matrix. Okay, um, nice. now, now, the Matrix is very simplistic in its costume design. You have the agents in the suits, and then you have the, like, hacker, I guess you could call them the hackers, in the, uh, um, you know, the goth, uh, long, like, leather capes and uh, coats and, you know, that kind of stuff, and, you know, with the sunglasses and the black. Um, and then you look at the, uh, but then you look at the world inside the Matrix, and it's it's real world that we live in today, but all the costume is very simplistic. But then you look at the Matrix in the real-world sense, and the costumes are very primitive because they're picking up the pieces because they're in the real world now. They've gotten out of the computer, and they're like, they have to basically create society all over again. Uh -huh. But what's interesting about it is when you look at the costumes inside the Matrix, and this goes from costuming to uh, products to um, vehicles that they drive, there are no logos. There's no brand, right. there's no brand names. So mm -hmm. this is something that had this is a uh, these are writers and designers that basically took a world that they couldn't have brand names and logos and they had to create um, they had to show you two different worlds, the real world and the fictional world inside the matrix, inside and outside the matrix. They had to show you a primitive design from creating uh, creating uh, a new civilization to a very black and white or green if you want to refer to it that because of how the matrix color combination but if you look at the in the in the world of the matrix you have a very um it's it's there's no gray areas in the sense it's very black and white good and evil kind of a mess um and then you have this primitive side on the outside of the matrix itself uh that's why i chose the movie just because of the broad strange of the simplicity yeah I, that, that's okay. actually some really good points i um I've heard so many um, discussions about, like, the sort of, like, religious symbolism in the Matrix and, like, a lot of interesting stuff like that, but I've never 
heard anybody analyze the lighting in the movie like you just did, so I thought that was really interesting. Um, And I also, like, I agree with you, like, the Matrix costumes are so good, and it's something that influenced, like, ten years of movies afterwards. Like, go find, like, any movie from the early 2000s, and somebody's there in a black trench coat. Like, it was kind of crazy. Black trench coat and glasses. Like, it's just, that's how it was. It's crazy, like, how much people were aping that stuff. And I feel like, I almost want to say, like, Grandma's Boy was the movie to kill the Matrix costume. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because they made fun of the one video game designer for dressing like Neo. But, uh, no, this is a great choice. Um, I also never really thought about the sort of the difference between the real world, like, post-apocalyptic version of the characters versus the, uh, you know, Matrix, like, super-enhanced really cool slick version of the characters so i thought that's actually a really good thing to point out as well right all right well uh your next pick man awesome so my next pick um is actually uh pennywise from the new uh it movies I, and uh you know what pick... i'm not a big fan i'm not a big fan of it in general <laughs> right um but the pennywise um the way Pennywise looks in the new It film is so much more terrifying and way cooler looking than Tim Curry ever looked. So Yeah, no, I actually agree with that. I guess I've heard a lot about how uh, Tim Curry <clears throat> wanted Pennywise to look like a completely normal clown and like he had like a lot of ideas behind him, which I think is I think it he had some interesting ideas there and I think he just wanted it to be something everybody could relate to. And I think it actually really worked for the time that the, uh, original mini series came out, but this new version of Pennywise, the biggest reason why I really like this character design and costume is because they took a, something very familiar to everybody, which is a clown and they made him feel otherworldly. They made this clown, like just the look of him looks like something, you've never seen before while also being really familiar and it looks like he just has like this demeanor that like gives off like kind of like he is a demon from another world like he is something not from here and like i think they just did a really good job of it and uh a lot of that plays into how they went with a retro costume like clown design but they also um they also like the color palette like (laughs) Everything in the movie's like in color, obviously, but uh, Pennywise almost looks like a black and white character just from the colors they they used. And I think just like my favorite part of the new It movies is just how much they captured the concept of like It is not from our world. Like this is something otherworldly. And I think they really found a way to make this character very like bizarre and unfamiliar while also being something that is very familiar. And I think it just like I think that's just really cool how they pulled it off. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. My go? (laughs) Yeah. All right. Uh, My next pick for the evening is Underworld. Okay. Now, I know... Pretty similar to The Matrix. It is pretty similar to The Matrix in terms of the black leather and the, you know, the tight clothing and that kind of thing and the coats. But one of the things that, like, really stood out with me in this movie is that they created with the costuming alone the societies of the vampires and werewolves yeah it was a true visualization of what the societies had become over the centuries of them of their existence 
Um, and that's the big reason why Underworld kind of made my thing. And it was almost like this thing where you saw it and you're like, yeah, that's what vampires would wear. That makes exact. <laughs> that makes that makes yeah. perfect sense in today's setting. Absolutely. And you had the vampires. You had like some of the vampires that would wear normal clothing, but they would all be like dressed this very specific way. It was very like kind of. Uh, it was a specific kind of look to their clothing, but then you had like Celine who would wear like the black tight, the skin tight leather outfit and stuff, but that was also battle worn. It was meant for combat. So almost like a SWAT team thing, but it showed you their society. Um, and that's, and that's where the costumes really stood out in that movie for me. Um, so it's not the greatest. I think it's, it's very similar to the matrix and you know, my next two picks are going to be very way on the other side <laughs> of the spectrum spectrum. Yeah. And I know these are similar, but where the matrix showed us comp complexity in the simplicity, this showed how you, how a society has evolved into what it could be today. Yeah. Does that I mean, make sense? I know that's a really. I feel like I'm kind of being broad with it, but. Um. No, yeah, that that absolutely makes sense. I think it's also just really good points. I think um, you're right. There is like this sense of like you look at one of the characters and you almost instantly can tell if it's a vampire or a werewolf in that movie based on their comic or their costumes. But I think they do it in a very. Um, it's done in a very good way, where like. Very subtle. Yeah, um, it's, like, subtle, but it's also, like, yes, like, of course that's a werewolf, but it's not this sort of, um, it's not, like, this I see what you did there sort of thing. It's more of a, yeah, that's just natural. Like, it has a very natural feel of how a werewolf would dress yeah, or a vampire. And, and, the, so, and, the, yeah. and the society of vampires themselves. So, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It's, it's really hard to make something where you're trying to design costumes and stuff and you can pull off something that feels very natural, like, that's a very hard thing to do. <laughs> so, right. Um, yeah. Cool. All right, what do you got uh, for I, me? Yeah, so my next pick, um, and this is another one that actually feels very otherworldly <laughs> to me, but I love it because of that, and that is uh, Pyramid Head from uh, Silent Hill. Um, and this is, uh, I picked Pyramid Head just because I think he has such a unique look. Um, it's a costume. This is, this is a costume that I've always wanted to do, by the way, just for like Halloween. Yeah. So, just to walk down, um, the, just walk, just to walk down the neighborhood with it. Like. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, he looks frightening. Like you even see like people dressed as Pyramid Head at like conventions, and he just has a frightening look, and he just looks so bizarre. But also, like he looks really weird, but he also looks very cool as well. And uh, yeah, I just, I just love his design. And this is another one where you see this guy from down the street and you can tell who it is. And just like, I like how aggressive he is. He looks and like how, um, it's another thing where it's like, yeah, it's this guy with a giant pyramid head who has like, or a giant pyramid on his head. And he's got like this huge blade. And like, you'd think that would look really corny and cheesy, but it's actually pulled off to look just very striking and unique and frightening. And, uh, yeah, I just, I just love this one. So, yeah, right on. Yeah, I'm, I, dude, I'm down. I, this is one of the this is one of the coolest like individual costumes there is. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so my next two picks are uh, definitely like they they got a lot of talking points. Um, and I actually had to pull up a website to uh, <laughs> okay. I, actually, I had to actually do a Google search so I could talk specifically about some aspects. So my next pick for the evening is uh, Game of Thrones. 
Su- okay. Surprise, surprise. Drew wants to talk about Game of Thrones. <laughs> now, we can go on and on about how amazing the costumes are, and we can start with the dresses. And uh, you look at the dresses of uh, any of the women in the any any of the women in the series, and they're very elegant, and they're very ornately uh, designed, and they're designed for specific things. So you can tell who's royal and who's not, and who's clearly in their like day clothes versus their you know ceremonial gowns and that kind of thing. But the dresses also have, and especially if you look at Daenerys from the primitive Dothraki clothing to her battle worn like I'm ready to go charging in with dragons outfits that she wears um yeah. if you look at the uh armor for the like any of the armies like let's look at like lannister armor for a, for a brief example they have if you look real closely at their armor certain variants of the lannister armor is plated the same way japanese armor is plated um, so it's almost like the designer went, Hey, I really like the way this looks. This would work for these guys, but we got to make it look different. So it's not Japanese because they're not, we're going to just take this idea and create this armor. And then when you look at the Greyjoys, their battle armor is designed. It's clearly meant to be designed for, um, ship to ship combat. Like, they are basically the pirates of that time period, medieval pirates. And you you can tell that by looking just at the costumes themselves. When you look at the costumes for the Dothraki, how primitive they are. It's almost like each faction has its own individual style in the building of the societies for each one, visually. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you're thinking to yourself, so if you're, you know, a novice Game of Thrones person and you're watching it for the first time and you're trying to put stuff together, look at the armors. Like, you can tell which army you're with just by the soldiers that are nearby. When it comes to the Unsullied, they have a very specific armor design that no one else in the show has. You know what I mean? They're just, you know, and it's, it's, they're incredible, incredible looking costumes, but when you really break down and look at what the costumes are, it's much, much more than just medieval times costuming. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree. I actually think that's like, all really good points um game of thrones actually like i thought a lot about like whether that would make my list and i think when you put when you look at it as a whole it's like of course game of thrones makes the list because of all those points you just mentioned but i think i just didn't have that individual character who like i loved and felt like the design was like so striking that i had to make my list and even though a lot of those characters are high up on my short list they just didn't make my top five but uh, well john like the the cloaks that the knights watch uh soldiers the rangers like john snow like the cloak he wears yeah. like that fur coat or whatever that's actually those are actually rugs that they got from ikea <laughs> awesome <laughs> i love that hearing about that sort of stuff yeah, so I mean, like the the way they put those costumes together, and like the the idea of the inclusion of real world stuff as opposed to and turning it fictional. Is yeah, what really got so me I, I I love that, and like uh, everything in that show is just so believable as well. Which, I mean, before that, I don't know if there is like a fantasy TV series that did everything so believably. You know, like everything you'd watch, you'd have to like try to suspend your disbelief and like in game of thrones you never had to try to because just like you just would believe it because it was that well done if that makes sense so yeah yeah, great pick yeah absolutely all right man you're up okay awesome so my next pick is actually darth vader um 
And this is a character who is obviously super striking, super iconic. It's almost like I don't know where to start, but I think this is a character who is designed so well because just from looking at him, you can just tell, you just already know so much about his personality. Like he seems to be part machine. He seems to be evil. Like he seems like he's going to be the antagonist. He seems really cool. Like just really badass. You know, he's going to mess some stuff up. Um, and then just like, I've mentioned silhouette a lot in this, uh, discussion this week. And I just feel like a good costume design. And I think a good character design, I think like, the silhouette the costume has like does come into it you know like if you were looking at this costume uh standing in front of the sunset and you could only see the black outline of the character like would you know who that is or you know is it a memorable design and like darth vader like if you just look at his silhouette he's kind of you know it's kind of just a guy in the in in a cape but they did something really genius where the shape of his helmet, it's just how it, uh, how it like curves out on the sides is very simple. Like it's a very simple choice, but it's this thing where you see that silhouette anywhere. Like you see that helmet. It doesn't even matter like how well you see it. You know, that's Darth Vader right away. And that's like, I think that might play into a little bit of like why he's so iconic and why he's so memorable. But yeah, this is just, I don't know what more to say, but this is like, yeah, this is one of my favorite costumes of all time. Well, that costume is actually probably one of the most famous costumes, period. Yeah. Um, in terms of like this medium. Um, and I could go on and on about Darth Vader, but I'm going to actually let this segue into my next pick, which was Star Wars as a whole. <laughs> I had a feeling. That's why I said I thought we'd match at least a little bit. All right. I was like, he's got to pick Star Wars. <laughs> well, Star Wars as a whole, but one of the reasons, and so all the things I just said, from Game of Thrones to the Matrix to Underworld, building societies, building the world, building this like lived-in environment, that you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, Darth Vader is iconic just in the image alone. And it's so simple when you look at like this, this, the swooping design of the helmet or the, or the design of the stormtroopers. And when you, in 1977, when that movie came out, like everyone's like, no one had ever seen anything like that before. And we always praise Star Wars for being like, I always feel like we praise Star Wars in the sense of being the first of its kind, but honestly, it was the first of its kind, you know? Um, but what's interesting about Star Wars, and this is why I wanted to pull it out, and this is, I wanted to pull it out as a pick because of what the design team had to do with Star Wars originally, and I don't know if they're still doing it, but George Lucas is famous for saying there are no buttons and zippers in Star Wars. Yes. So all those costumes either had to be made with no buttons or zippers, or they had to be made where buttons and zippers were hidden and you didn't know they were there. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the costumes, just like how do they all how did they all get put together? And that's and it's something amazing to think about when you actually like stop folk when you've seen the movie enough times and you can actually watch a sequence and think to yourself, how did they actually do that? Absolutely. <laughs> um, so and that's why I wanted to pull out Star Wars, just because of the uh, the feat that the design team had to uh, yeah, had to deal with Yeah, but that also factors into, like, how believable the world is because, I mean, like you said before, like, Star Wars feels very dirty and grungy at parts and feels very lived in, but 
I think like part of it is like you don't see anything familiar at the same way and like they would take found objects and change them just enough that they wouldn't be recognizable and people would be wearing costumes where they wouldn't have buttons or zippers so you wouldn't have that sort of real world attachment to what you're seeing and uh i think it just makes it that much more believable um just because those things aren't there you know that tie you know things that are very specifically of the earth you know or of yeah, yeah. humanity um i did hear i think there's like a visible zipper in uh rogue one somewhere i think i heard that once which i thought was kind of funny but i'm gonna have I to do... go back and look for it i'm doing this weird thing where i fall asleep <laughs> with star wars right now <laughs> So, like, I'll watch, like, half an hour to 40 minutes of something, and then, so, like, what happened was, is, like, I have been watching all of Star Wars <laughs> before bed, so, like, I get to a point, and I'm like, I'll watch, and I'll watch the next, like, half an hour to 40 minutes of whatever I'm on, and then I'll pause, and I'm like, all right, time to nice. go to bed, yeah. and then I'll start watching, and, like, thank, thanks to Disney Plus, I can just continue watching where I left off. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So I'm somewhere in, I'm like right before Han Solo's introduction in A New Hope right now. So, and when I get to, and when I get to the end, I'm probably just going to start all over again. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, nice. Yeah. So Star Wars was my final pick for the night, but it's because of the, it's because of the world building that had to be done. Like, yes, there's world building that had to be done with costumes and with, with sets and uh, props and that kind of thing, but you have to create a world for the characters too. And any actor um, out there knows that there are times that you could go to rehearsals and you could go to your practices and you can, you know, sit at home and review your lines, but sometimes you don't actually feel like the character until you're in your costume. And that really is when your acting shines because you're now get to be a part of that person that you've been trying to create. So, um, yeah. All right. Your final pick of the evening is. Yeah. So moving into my final pick, uh, I actually <laughs> picked the, uh, surprise uh superman costume from uh, man of steel um but this is one that i picked um a big thing is like not only do i love this suit and i love the way it looks but um going to kind of what i was saying about star wars and not having uh or we both kind of discussed star wars and not having recognizable imagery like zippers or buttons this suit is something that uh, I've watched some behind-the-scenes uh, videos and like clips and stuff on YouTube, and I've seen like uh, the costume, like the costume designers from the movie talk about how they really wanted this suit to feel alien because you're taking a suit that everybody's seen a million times, like everybody across the world knows who Superman is knows what he looks like, but they were trying to take this suit that everybody's seen and make it believable that it came from another planet. And uh, that was actually a big reason why they didn't have uh, the red trunks over the suit. Um, and then, like, you know, Superman doesn't wear a belt because that feels very, you know, of Earth. So he kind of has, like, this weird alien-looking belt design. And I think there's just a lot of really smart choices to not only bring this suit into... Uh, I don't even know, like, the new era, I guess, or, like, into modern times, but also just to make it believable that it's not of the Earth. And I just, like, besides that, just I love I just love this one. Like, I liked that they went with uh, darker colors. I thought that looked really striking. I like the long cape. I really, really like the uh, S design on the suit because this is another thing that 
they made the S like a lot more curvy. It's kind of stylized a little bit more than the classic Superman S, but it makes it feel that much more unfamiliar. So you feel like you're watching something new and something alien. So, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I could go on and on about this, but, uh, I mean, do you have any thoughts on this one or Uh, yes to everything you just said? (laughs) Awesome. Um, and this is kind of, uh, I really like like all the, newer like dc costumes and i feel like this is the one that kind of set everything off or kind of set that standard but uh go on yeah no everything to what yes to every single thing you just said because i like the color on that one i i like the color i like the the way the s look i'd like the darker blue specifically i like the s i like the fact that um they were smart enough to make his cape some of the time cg (laughs) um because uh that way they could do more with it um (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah, everything you just said, like, this is, you know, the Christopher Reeve Superman costume was good, and I liked the Superman costume in Supergirl, and I liked the Superman, like, the the brief glimpse of it we saw in Smallville, and I liked Brandon Routh's costume, but this feels the way I think Superman's costume should look. Do you know what I mean? Like, for being a costume from an alien and that kind of thing, so... Yeah, if you're going with that story, because I know there is, like, in the comics, there's versions where it's uh, Martha Kent designs Superman's costume, and, like, if that's the kind of backstory you're going with, it, of course, makes sense for it to be more of a earthly origin, but, yeah. yeah, I absolutely agree, like, this feels, the suit just feels Kryptonian and weird and foreign, and I love it for that. Yeah, awesome. Well, are you ready to hear your pick for next week? Yeah, I'm excited. All right, to and, hear it's what a, it is. and it's a and it's and it's a doozy, so get ready. So, okay. uh, the pick for next week is the following: five fictional universes that you want to live in, and what job would you want? Okay, nice. Yeah. So, for example, would you want to be the bartender in Star Wars? You know what I mean? Like the job, the universe you want to live in, and the job you would want if you had to live there. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I just figured let's do a weird one because then we're going to get into uh, – it's going to be Oscar time and we're going to have to have that conversation as to our favorite movies of the year and that kind of thing. So Yeah. Um, yeah. This is one that I have no idea what I'm going to pick, but I think it's going to be a fun discussion. <laughs> and I don't expect to um, – I don't expect to match at all or actually maybe we will match. Well, we might match at least the uh, universes. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. And it's one where we could go for adventure or we could go for leisure, too. So it's going to be interesting to see what route we each take. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, you good? Yeah. I Ready to bring – we got another episode in the, the show. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, in that case, um, let's close this out and uh, – yeah, so um, if you guys would all do us a favor and uh, check out our website, Top 5 Report at uh, top5report.com, there you'll find uh, links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our uh, email address. If you want to interact with the show, it's top5report at gmail.com. Um, we are on Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can subscribe to us, and uh, there you'll not miss a single episode. And you can also leave us a review. If you do, we love the five stars, but we also understand criticism So, because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. Um, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Peter? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at NinjaPierre. 
and that's where I will be trying to sell full house cast members hockey masks imprinted with pairs and threes of a kind. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, for the top five report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And we'll talk to you next week. Have a good night, guys.